not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The first thing you need to know is that the gospel is not limited to the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that are commonly referred to as the gospels. The gospel is not limited to the first four books of the New Testament. All of scripture concerning Jesus Christ qualifies as the gospel, both Old Testament and New. Go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, and let's prove that statement. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul writes to the church at Galatia, and the scripture, everybody say the scripture. Okay, when we talk about this today, the scripture, the word, and the gospel, they're all interchangeable. When I say the scripture, I might as well be saying the word, I might as well be saying the gospel. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all nations shall be blessed. What's he saying there? He's saying the gospel was not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He said Abraham heard the gospel. Now, this is amazing. The gospel is so powerful that the events of the life, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus hadn't even happened yet. And yet God preaches about what's going to happen to Abraham and then saves Abraham for believing in events that haven't even taken place yet. Because in the gospel is the power of salvation. It will always be, and it always has been. The gospel, the word of God concerning Jesus Christ. Now, John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word. Or you could say in the beginning was the gospel. Or you could say in the beginning was the scripture. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Now the word there, the terminology, this was written in Greek. The terminology for word is logos. So in the Greek, it'll say, in the beginning was the Logos. Logos is a difficult concept to grapple with. It's, even if you're reading and studying Greek, it's even a little bit more challenging when you transition to try to study it and, and drill down into it in English. But the best way I can, I can give it to you is you cannot speak anything that you hadn't thought first. Okay. Your mind has to think the word to form it, and then your mouth manifests what the mind first thought. The word logos refers to the thought right before it's spoken. You with me? So everything I'm saying to you, it has to run through my mind before it comes out of my mouth. And there's a split second, a nanosecond, where the thought is formed and then the word comes out. Logos captures that moment right before the word that was in thought form becomes spoken, okay? So in the beginning was the mind of God, the essence of God, the thoughts of God, almost ready to come out of his mouth. In the beginning was the logos. And because there is no variation in God, you know, uh, like I can say something to you that's not how I feel because I have, as a human, the ability to lie to you. I have the ability to be positive when, you know, I could tell the truth and be negative, you know. But, but there's no variation in God. So there is no difference between what God is and what God says. That's too heavy on a rainy Sunday morning, isn't it? There's no difference in him between what he is and what he says. So in the beginning was the essence of God, the logos, the mind of God the thoughts of God. And then God spoke out of himself what he was in himself. And all of creation came into being and became a result of what God spoke. All things were made by the word. And without the word, nothing was made that was made. And then uh, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, eventually that word that was there in the beginning was made flesh and dwelt among us in the form of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the Logos of God. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the essence of God that was there in the beginning. 
Now, Colossians 2.9 sums this up really neatly for everybody who may have doctrinal, uh, you know, sparring desires with this. In Colossians 2.9, it says, in him being Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's a powerful verse. In Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. What's the Godhead? It's the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three-in-one God. Scripture calls it the Godhead, the one God with three unique manifestations. And yet this scripture says, even though there, there is a distinction between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that in Jesus Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But wait a second. What did John chapter 1 say about Jesus Christ? It said he was the word, the logos, the essence of God. You realize what he's saying here. He's saying in Jesus, all of the fullness of the Father, all of the fullness of the Spirit, it's all in the Son. So when you call on Jesus, you haven't left out, out the Father. When you call on Jesus, you haven't left out the Holy Spirit. When you call on Jesus, you've encompassed the fullness of all of God, the Father's power, all the fullness of the Holy Spirit's power, all in Jesus Christ, for in him dwells all of the fullness. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. And Jesus, according to John, is the Word. Everybody say the Word. So he's drawing the conclusion there in John chapter 1 that the Word, or Jesus, or Jesus, or the Word, was the one responsible for creation. So the first thing the word will do is it will create. That's the first thing the word did in the beginning. It will create. The word will create. Point number one, the word will create faith. Can y'all see that on the screen? The word will create faith within you. And this is important because Hebrews eleven six says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. The word will create faith faith. Now, Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing. What? What? Next time you come to church on a rainy Sunday morning, get you a double Starbucks espresso something. When I'm preaching, you got to talk back to me. Faith comes by hearing the what? The word concerning Jesus. So faith comes by hearing the word and the word will produce faith. Now, once the word produces faith, faith will produce an understanding of spiritual things. I just can't understand the Bible. It's because you haven't got faith yet. You know, I just don't understand how this could have happened and how Jesus could have, you know, come back from the dead and how he's coming back. I just don't understand and living in the natural. I know it's because you don't have faith yet, but the word of God preached will produce faith. And then faith that's produced by the word will produce an understanding of spiritual things. How do you know that preacher? Hebrews 11.3 says, through faith, look at this, through faith, we understand. Oh, hallelujah. You ain't tracking with me, but it's good anyway. Through faith, we understand. So the word created faith. Faith has created an understanding. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Okay, so it was through hearing the word that I got the faith to understand that the word is what created everything. So the word helped me believe in the word. That's how it happens. The more words you get, the more words you believe. The more words you get, the more word you receive. The more words you get, the more words you understand. Word begets the word. You understand? Look at that word framed. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed. What's a frame? It's a structure. It's something that holds the whole thing together. You know? Like, it doesn't matter how nice your roof is. If your house doesn't have a frame, it's falling apart. Doesn't matter how nice your furniture is, how nice your floor is. You, you have to have a frame. So what the writer is teaching us here is that not only does God's word create, but whatever it's spoken to, it also frames and holds together. 
It's the reason the Pacific Ocean will never spill over into the Grand Canyon. Because this world that was created by God's word is also framed. It's the reason it'll never be 30 below in July in San Antonio. Because this world is governed and framed by the word that created it. And it's an interesting concept because if God has ever spoken his word to you, if you've ever been saved, if you've ever had a word in season come to you, if you've ever received a prophetic word, not only does the word create things, but it also frames them. If you've ever wondered in your mind how you made it through seasons that you were sure were going to kill you, the reason you made it is when God spoke his word to you, his word also put a frame around you. The reason your children have survived when God spoke his word he also put a frame around it that's why that no weapon formed against you has been able to prosper it's not because of your faith it's because of God's frame that came from somebody say I'm framed in all say I'm framed in when you tried to go crazy let me press that a little bit more I know there's not many crazy people in here. There's a few of us that have had the propensity, even since we've been saved, to do some crazy stuff. I don't know where my crazy people are. You can stay seated. I don't want to blow your cover. But isn't it amazing that when you try to do crazy, but, but you belong to God, you, you keep bumping into that frame? I mean, you were trying to do wrong. You were trying to do evil, but you kept bumping into the frame. And the frame kept you. That's what David meant when he said, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. I didn't even want to be on this path. Sometimes I get tired of walking this path. Sometimes I get tired of telling everybody no when they want me to go out and do something crazy. But every time I tried my own way, I bumped into the, I bumped into the frame that, that was built by the word as a byproduct of it leaving God's mouth and coming to my ear. It's the word. It's the word. Point number two. This is going to be a boring one, so I'll try to be extra entertaining. Point number two. The word will establish doctrine in you. We have heard more messages in this generation than all the other generations combined. You want to hear great preaching? It's, it's at the tip of your fingers. You just get on your phone, go to YouTube. The greatest in the world are there. So we have heard more and yet no less than any other generation. We have great shouting and great response and great inspiration. But so few of us can sit a stranger down and tell them the core doctrines of our faith. So few of us could talk ourselves out of a paper bag when it comes to explaining what we really believe. It's why everybody, you know, everybody started making fun of it in the 80s and the 90s. It's why most Christians don't go to the door when the Jehovah's Witnesses show up. You like to act like they're just annoying. The truth is, you don't know how to talk yourself out of an argument with them. There was a scripture I heard one time 15 years ago, and if I could remember that scripture, I'd tear you up. The Word will teach you what to believe. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration there means God breathed. All scripture, all gospel, all word in the Bible is literally breathed out by God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. The word will teach you doctrine. 2 Timothy 4.1-3, look at these verses. This is amazing. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. I charge you therefore. He's talking to his spiritual son. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Next verse. Preach. <laughs> oh, you're slow, but you're worth waiting on. Preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, extort, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Next verse. For the time will come, and now is. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The lowest attended churches on a Sunday morning in America are doctrinal focused churches. Because nobody wants to hear it. I want to hear about how I'm going to be blessed, how my, my marriage is going to be blessed, how my money's going to be blessed, how my children are going to be blessed, how I'm going to make it through this tough season in my life. And doctrine's just not good for none of that. People don't want to hear it. Why? It's the, it's the season. It's the time we're living in. It's one of the ways the enemy is fighting us. The enemy puts up a wall when anybody tries to get pure, sound, biblical doctrine in us. But remember what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians? It's because we don't love the truth. That's why we're being deceived. It's because we don't love the pure and core fundamental doctrines. It's because we don't, many of us don't even know them. And those, those of us that do know them, we don't, we don't love them. See, the reason doctrine should never be boring. If you love the truth, every time you hear it, it should wash over you. Every time you hear it, it should just fill you with the spirit of joy and the spirit of power and the spirit of love if you love the truth. But if we never receive fundamental teaching, if you never eat the Brussels sprouts, then you never acquire the taste. And that's why many preachers in America are killing their churches because they refuse to serve them Brussels sprouts. Because the offering bucket will be a little light those Sundays. The chairs will be a little less full the next few Sundays. And, and what we're doing is we're serving up what people want and not giving them what they need. So the divorce rate is higher in the church today in 2021 than it is in the world. Our kids are addicted to drugs. Our, our families are falling apart while we shout and sing worship songs. Why? Because we don't love the truth. But the word received, the word believed, the word digested will lead you into truth. The word will teach you the, the, the core, just the, it's not all the core things like, like we believe in one God who has eternally revealed himself in three distinct personal manifestations, father, son, and Holy Spirit. The, the, the core things like we believe that Jesus Christ did not just appear spiritually on the earth like angels do in the Old Testament, that he was actually born of a virgin because miraculous conception means that he was literally the son of God. He had to be born of a virgin or the whole Bible falls apart because the whole Bible's base is that he was innocent, his blood was pure, and his blood was pure enough to be shed for innocent people like you and I. Miraculous conception means he was literally the son of God the Father. Miraculous conception means that when his blood hit this earth, God saw something in heaven that did not originate in the earth. It originated with him in heaven. All of you know that babies get their blood from their father. So even though he was born from a fallen human being, a woman named Mary, his blood was from his father in heaven. That's what made him spotless. That's what made him pure. That's what made him holy. And that's what makes a righteous God forgive a guilty me if I will believe and apply the blood of Jesus to my life. That's, that's core. We believe Jesus' primary reason for coming was not to be a teacher. We believe Jesus' primary reason for coming, glory to God, was not to be a prophet. We believe Jesus' primary reason for coming is that he came to save us from our sins. He was born to die. Everything in his life led up to the moment where they nailed his hands and feet to the cross, stuck a spear in his side. Everything in his life led up to that moment where he said, Father, into thy hands I commit 
my spirit. Everything in his life led up to that moment. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. These are things we believe. We believe he lived perfectly without sin. We believe he died innocently. And though he was innocent, we believe that he took on himself our judgment and he took on himself the guilt of our sins. He was innocent of committing sin himself, but he took on the sins I committed. He was innocent of committing sins himself, but he took on the guilt and the judgment that you and I deserved and he died with it on the cross. And, and we believe that when he died, he went to hell all the way down into the devil's living room. We believe when he died, he went down to the place where demons were born. We believe he died and went all the way into hell. And while he was there, he walked over to the devil and snatched the keys of death, hell, and the grave, taking all authority away from the enemy to ever have you locked up for eternity again. We believe that after he took the keys, that he rose again on the third day bodily not just in the spirit not just as a representation but he bodily rose from the dead and we believe he showed himself alive for 40 days by many infallible proofs then led his disciples out of the city on a mountain and ascended into heaven on a cloud. We believe an angel came and said why are you staring up at the clouds boys? This same Jesus, hallelujah, this same Jesus, hallelujah for truth, this same Jesus will return one day in like manner. We believe in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, one of these days the dead in Christ shall rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Doctrine. Hallelujah. Why do we believe it? Because the word said it. Why do we believe it? Because the word guaranteed it. And the word also says there is no way a person can be saved outside of repenting of their sins and believing on Jesus Christ. There are many lying voices in this earth today and in society per perpetrating that there are multiple ways to get to God. But in the word, the word said, Jesus said, I mean, the word said, no, Jesus, no, I mean, the word said, he didn't say I am a way. Yeah, yeah. He didn't say I am a truth. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. No man. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to preach. I said, no man, no man comes to the Father but by. He said, I am the door of the sheepfold. All that ever came before me were thieves and robbers. If you try to get in this kingdom, this sheepfold any other way, if you try to climb out through the roof or climb over a window, he said you're a thief and the robber and the thief comes not for, but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I am come that you may have life. If you want spiritual life, you have to go through Jesus. What about all the multiplied billions of people that are from other religions. How could a loving God send them to hell? First of all, let me say, I'm not judging them, but the word is. Paul said creation itself declares the glory of God. Paul said every person is without excuse because God has set eternity in the minds of human beings. I believe God in his infinite wisdom and his multiplicity of ways of working has given every person an opportunity to acknowledge him. But the word says if you don't, there is a heaven to gain 
and there is a hell to shun. Of all of the prophets in the scripture, of all of the apostles in scripture, of all of the writers in scripture, the person who spoke about hell and eternal damnation the most was Jesus Christ. Lord of love, master of mercy, talked about hell more than any of the other prophets or contributors combined. He wanted people to know there's one way to have your soul saved. There's one way to have your sins forgiven. There's one way to escape the judgment of God, and that is through me. We believe in the afterlife because the word says we will all stand before God and give an account for our deeds. We will give an account to God even down to the idle words that we have spoken. We believe in the afterlife. Everything we did will be judged by the standard of God and we will all fall short because Romans 3 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in that day when you have to give an account for your life and everything you've ever done that was wrong, everything you've ever done that was rebellious, it's brought up in front of you. The only question that will matter in that moment is have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you wholly trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you believed in the sacrifice that was made for you? Has the blood of Jesus been applied to your heart by faith? That's all that will matter then. It's just, it's just truth. Just, just good old doctrine. Born out of the word. Point number three, the word will convict us. John 17, 17, sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word, O Lord, is truth. You missed it again. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The word will always tell you the truth about yourself. Even when you try to deny it, even when you lie to other people to try to cover it up, the word will always tell you the truth about yourself. One reason a lot of people don't pick up their Bibles at home is because they can't handle the pain of looking into the mirror of the perfect law of liberty and seeing that much truth about themselves. One reason people heap upon themselves teachers having itching ears is they don't want to hear parts of the Bible that tells them the truth about how they're living, about how they're thinking, about how they're treating their spouse, about how they're treating their children. But the word, what's amazing about it, it'll never lie to you. That's why you can use it to heal yourself from delusion. It's the only thing that can't be diluted. The scripture says the word is quick, sharp, and powerful. And it divides the very sinews. It goes all the way into the deepest parts of the heart and the mind. And it cuts off everything that's a lie. It cuts off everything that, that's, that's a, a limiting belief system. It cuts off everything. You know, anytime a person has has developed an opinion about God. No, there's some of you in here right now. You've developed some sort of opinion or belief system about God or about the way things are going to go or maybe the way end times are going to be or maybe, you know, how the cross happened or you've developed some kind of opinion about God. You have to ask yourself, did the word inform that opinion? Or were you watching some show on the Discovery Channel? <laughs> or listening to some idiot professor that got a job teaching at that school just because he can come up with vain pablum fill people's head with? Where'd the opinion come from? Well, I just don't know how, I just don't know how to deal with evolution. I don't know how to deal with create. Why don't you? That whatever you believe, there was a word that started it. Whose word was it? 
Are your opinions and paradigms about God and the things of God and about church, are they informed by his word or the word of another? You know, as you mature as a believer, you begin to look at all the various areas of your life and you begin to ask yourself, did the word of God inform and speak into this area? Do I line up with what the word said? I'm not happy in my marriage. Line up with what the word says. I went over real big. When you bring things in your life into alignment with the word, you unleash not natural power, supernatural power. And you end the delusion. You know what Jeremiah said about our hearts? He said, the heart is deceitful. Okay. Desperately wicked. Then he said, who can know it? And that's the heart. The mind, the more analytical part of the soul, the more thinking part, it's not just deceitful. It can get delusional. And the word is the only prescription for it. The word will bring the type of conviction that leads to change. We, that's why we must learn the truth first and then love it. Learn it until you love it. Learn it until you love it. Learn it until you love it. Do you know what will happen if you start to love it? When you encounter a lie in society or out in the world, out in your, living your life, whatever. When you encounter a lie and you love the truth, the truth will leap up out of you. You won't have to rationalize. It's like it bypasses your mind. Like, like you can be talking to somebody and they can have some kind of weird, lukewarm, insepid idea about the Bible or about God. And if you really know the truth, you'll find the truth that you know and love leaping up out of you to respond to it. It's impossible to get someone to become delusional if they love the truth. Because the truth in them rejects the lie, even if it's coming from the inside. You know, we used to, we used to, we used to know this stuff, you know, it's, it's not like people years ago when I was coming up, it's not like people didn't have issues and flaws that they would come to church. They believe the word of God. They believe the Bible, but they had, they had problems. They had flaws. They had issues. That, that's all a nice way of saying sin, you know, <laughs> it's not that they never sinned, but when they were wrong. They knew they were wrong. You know, like when they were living together before they were married. They didn't try to deny that it was wrong and they didn't try to justify it. They, they, they were like David. They just knew they were wrong. You know, they, they never tried to call what God said was bad. They never tried to call it good. And they never took something that God called good and tried to call it bad. They understood the concept. That like, like David, the difference between David and Saul was not sin. In fact, if you add it up in scripture, David was far more of a sinner than Saul was. Do you know why the outcome of their lives was so different? It's because David knew he was wrong. Because he had the truth in him. And when you love the truth, the truth can take even a wayfaring man on the wrong path and eventually con through conviction and through the Spirit's leading and guiding put you back on the right road. When you know you're wrong, you know where right is. When you know you're lost, you know where home is. That's why the prodigal was saved. He remembered where home was. Saul got delusional. That's the difference. Saul started calling wrong something God had called right. Saul started calling right stuff God had called wrong. And it destroyed his mind. Do you want to know why everybody across the nation is talking about mental health? It's not just COVID. Do you know why we have a 400% increase of mental health issues in our nation? It's because people are becoming delusional.
Some of you are married to him. Look straight at me. Some of you are raising them. It don't matter how much sense what you say to them makes. To them it makes. The truth. The love of the truth will set you free. I feel somebody getting free right now. I feel somebody starting that process in your home right now. I feel somebody shaking loose of that mental entanglement right now. The truth. Number four. For all the sinners in the room. Me included. Listen. The word will save you. They didn't add this last part. The word will save you and keep saving you. We often think of salvation as a one-time event, and that's okay. I understand why we do. I, I, I'm, not a, I, I'm not a proponent of this thing like, you know, you, you're saved, and then, then you, you, you mess up, you commit some sins, and, and then you're unsaved. And then you got to go get saved again, and the next time you fall, you're unsaved. Then you got to go get saved again. I don't think God is a reckless schizophrenic. In fact, the reason Jesus had to go to the cross was because we are sinners with the propensity to sin. In fact, it's your sin that validates the blood of Jesus. I offended somebody by saying that, but reason with me. If you didn't have that problem with pornography, if you didn't have that problem with lying, if you didn't have that problem with your anger, if you didn't have those, those hangups, those issues, those sins, those broken places of your life, if you didn't have them and if other people didn't have them, what would the need have been? Why would God the Father do that to his only begotten son? Unless there was a reason that justified his slaughter. It was your sin that made God need to go to that extreme, the extreme of the cross. The Bible said that God commended his love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died, watch, for the ungodly. He didn't die for the godly people. He didn't die for the good people. He died for the ungodly people. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. John said, if you say you have no sin, you lie and deceive yourself. So, so we get saved initially for the first time. Let's, let's not call it saved. Let's call it born again. We get born again by receiving the gospel concerning Jesus, the word concerning Jesus. The gospel convicts us. It pricks our hearts. We believe in our hearts and then we confess with our mouths. We repent of our sins. In other words, we acknowledge that the path that we are on and the things that we are doing lead to destruction and we turn to God. And then the born-again experience happens. But post-born-again experience, you're going to do some sinning. All those people over there are totally clean. They ain't sinned once since they've been saved. They sat there and looked at me like a horse looking at a brand new gate, not knowing where to go. Is there some people in the house that have committed some sin since you got born again? Thank you. Now, some will say that the presence of sin uh, cancels and is contrary to the born-again experience. They'll, they'll say because you sinned, it means you didn't get born again. It doesn't. 
it confirms the existence of the flesh nature. That's all sin does. It confirms the existence of the flesh nature, which you will have until we bury you in a coffin. And God, knowing this, put something amazing in his word that not only saves you, but it keeps saving you. You don't believe me, so let me prove it. John 15, 3. Jesus is looking at a bunch of his saved disciples. He's already breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit and you can't receive the Holy Spirit unless you get saved. He's given them power and authority over demons to cast them out. He's given them power to heal people. These are his disciples. But he looks at them and says, you are already clean. After preaching a message to them, he looks at them and says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to. In other words, they were saved. They had the Holy Spirit. They had power. But but as you walk through this life as a Christian, you're going to get some dirt on you. You're going to get some filth on you. And you're going to throw a lot of it on your own self. But there's something amazing that when you come and you receive the word, not only did it save you however long ago it was when you got born again, but every time you sit under it, the word cleanses you. Now you are clean because of the word that I have spoken. Do you know what's happening to you right now? I mean, I love praying for you, and I'll pray for you today. But you know you don't have to come to the altar to get prayed for to be cleansed? Do you know you're being cleansed right now while I'm preaching the word? That when you're putting your eyes on those words on the screen, and you're, you're letting your ears hear the word of God being preached, there's a cleansing happening in your soul. Sins are being cleansed and forgiven right now because the word is going forth. 1 Corinthians 1.21. 1 Corinthians 1.21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The, the Paul saying, Paul said, you know, preaching when you think about it, if you think about it really logically, preaching's kind of silly. Just from a, a society perspective, you know, we don't really have anything like it in society. It's, it's kind of silly. A guy standing up in front of a lot of people with a holy book screaming at him and sweating and doing all this kind of stuff. It seems kind of foolish. And that's what Paul said. But Paul said, because through wisdom, the world did not ascertain the knowledge of God. God said, I can't send it through him through wisdom. First reason being, not everyone has the same level of intellect. So if getting saved was a matter of your intellectual property, then God would not be a just God because he didn't give everybody the same level of brains. So he said, I'm not going to send it through wisdom. I tell you what I'll do. I'll send it through something foolish, the foolishness of preaching. And every time my people sit up under the preaching of the word, I'll not only save them, but I'll keep saving them. The preaching of the word will keep cleansing them. The preaching of the word will keep redeeming them. The preaching of the word will keep establishing them. The preaching of the word will keep beating the devil off of them. The preaching of the word will continually, perpetually perform. 1 John 1, 7. First John 1 John 1.7. I know. I know. First John 1 John 1.7. But if we walk in the light. What light? You said it, mama. What? Yeah. Uh, what? If we walk in the light that the word provides. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. Not, not cleansed us. <laughs> I think somebody's starting to get it. I think somebody's starting to get it. That, that, do, do you see? Like. Like, I, I grew up old-time Pentecost, okay? When you were a little boy, your hero was G.I. Joe and Superman. When I was a little boy, my heroes were preachers. Because, I mean, our denomination wouldn't even let you have a TV. Well, I didn't get a TV until I was, like, 12 years old. And, 
And all we thank God we came out of that. Lord Jesus. But but listen, but listen, listen. I've studied, I've studied the Pentecostal movement and the charismatic movement. Billy Graham, he made the coming forward and saying a prayer. He was so strong and God used him so mightily. He actually made that in a lot of people's minds a biblical principle. Like you had to come forward, come to an altar. The word never really specifically says you have to do that. It says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. But, but because of his influence, his power, and how successful he was in a lot of people's minds, it hadn't happened for you unless you come to an altar. You know, and then the Pentecostal denomination, so many leaders in the charismatic and the Pentecostal churches almost made it a doctrinal staple, even though it's not necessarily in the word that you got to have somebody, you know, pray over you and, and lead you to get filled with the Holy Ghost. You got to have somebody in your ear speaking in tongues and somebody else in your other ear saying, hold on, let go, hold on, let go. Hallelujah. Thank you. Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you. Jesus. And, and and, and, and we've adopted that. That's only understood by people that really grew up in. You either grew up Kojic or, or Spirit-filled Baptist or Pentecostal. Or, but anyway, but anyway, <laughs> but, but I'm not saying any of those things are bad. It works for a lot of people. I'm not saying coming to an altar is bad. There are times you need to come. I'm not saying that having somebody lay hands on you and speak in tongues in your ear to be filled with this. But I'm not saying it's bad. I've done it before. It works. It's, it's amazing. But what my point is, organized religion has put things into us that we don't feel a spiritual uh, experience is validated unless we get those things. But do you know in the early church, the Bible said, why this was the second other than the day of Pentecost where the Holy Ghost fell in the upper room. This was the second mass filling of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament church. The Bible says, while Peter was preaching the word that all who were sitting listening to him preach the word were filled instantly with the Holy Spirit. Because God wanted you to know in the Bible that the power is never in the minister. The power is never in the man. The power is never in the church. The power is in the word. You can be filled with the spirit sitting right where you are. You can get born again sitting right where you are. It is that powerful by the foolishness of preaching. God will save you and then keep, keep, keep. It said, it said. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. It's not about being cleansed. Because that would insinuate a one-time experience. And I don't believe in that. I don't believe, you know, that, that you heard something. I've heard all these testimonies. I'm convinced they're lies. I don't believe you heard something one time. And all the issues in your life fell away. You know, you've been drinking 40 years and you heard one, one message and, and you, you know, not, not only did you, did you turn your life around, you just never had any issues. And pe people, a lot of people that have struggled, not with drinking, but with sobriety, you know, ex excess, overindulgence, that kind of thing, the kind of stuff that tears people's lives apart. The, the kind of thing that, that makes these testimonies illegitimate is... What God does for you when he saves you, initially, and this is scriptural, initially it happens to your soul and your spirit. It does not necessarily impact your flesh in the moment. Because Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You have to start walking with God for a while and learn how to discipline your flesh. The apostle Paul said he had to learn how to crucify his flesh and tell his flesh no. But you don't get all that at once. And so in the church, we've kind of dangled people off a cliff and made them feel like even though they were having real faith, spiritual experiences, that if they still had persistence in the problems of the flesh, that it somehow illegitimized them. That's not what the word says. 
He said, I saved you by the foolishness of preaching the word concerning Jesus. You got saved by believing in that word and confessing it with your mouth. And then I'm going to keep pouring my forgiveness. I'm going to keep pouring my mercy. I'm going to keep pouring my love. I'm going to keep pouring my kindness. I'm going to keep pouring goodness and mercy on you and make it follow you all the days of your life so that I can maintenance what I paid for. That's why Paul says that your spirit has been sealed. Okay. At salvation, your, at the born again experience, your spirit was sealed. And then what you go through in your mind, your flesh, and all that, that's what the blood of Jesus is for. Pastor, you don't know how much mess I'm in. That's what the blood of Jesus is for. You don't know how bad I blew it, how bad I messed up. That's, that's what the blood of Jesus is for. The blood of Jesus cleanses. That's why... That's why somebody came to church today. You needed to be cleansed. And it's already happened. It's happening right now as the, as the word. As the word. And then number five. I got I to gotta finish. Number five. The word will prosper you. Joshua chapter one verse eight. It'll prosper you. He said, this book of the law, might as well be saying this book of the word, this book of the Bible, this book of the scripture, the word, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And you can't have it in your mouth if it hadn't first been in your eyes and your ears. Did you hear me? You can't have it in your mouth if it hadn't first been in your eyes and your ears. Did you hear me? You can't have it in your mouth unless it's first been in your eyes and your ears. That's what it means to love the truth, to love it till you know it. Love it enough with your eyes. Love it enough with your ears until you know it in your heart and it can come out of your mouth. It shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all, next verse, that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. I said the word will prosper you. You will make your way prosperous and will have good Success. This is in addition to this. Let me be careful. Don't want to be disrespectful. This is not a blessing from God. It's not. He doesn't say, I will make you prosperous. What's he say? You. You will make your way prosperous as a byproduct of having the word in your heart and in your mouth. Now, there's blessings from God in addition to that, but this is just something you can do to make yourself more prosperous. In the morning, put your eyes on the word. In the evening, put your eyes on the word. And then the word you put in your eyes and the word you hear with your ears that you hear your pastor preach, put it in your mouth. You do those things, talk about it. Talk about the word. Talk about the word I preach to your coworkers tomorrow. Read the word in the morning. Read the word at night. Talk to somebody and repeat some of the word I said. And he said, for doing that, you're going to make your own way. Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man. Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the... The law or the word, his delight is in the word of the Lord, and in his word does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall the word will prosper you. The word will prosper you. Proverbs chapter 3, 1 through 10. Proverbs, my son, do not forget my law or my my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. Verse 2, for length of days and long life and peace, they will add to you. 
I don't care what your family history is. That's either the truth or it's a lie. If you love the truth, that word will add length of days and long life to you. Next verse. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. You see that? Do you see that? What stood out to you in that? Oh, I'm failing. Let not mercy and forsake you. <laughs> Bind them around your neck. Next. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Next. And so find favor and high esteem. Watch this. In the sight of God and men. Whether the other man believes in it or not, the other man don't have to believe in it in order for them to favor you. God said, if you bind this, this truth around your neck and write this truth on the tablet of your heart, not only will it give you favor with God, God will cause people that don't even believe the same way you do to start liking you and not even knowing why. To start offering you contracts and not even knowing why. To start blessing you and not even knowing why. But you know why. It's because you loved the... Verse 5. Trust in the Lord. You know this. With all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to you. Not your spirit. Not your soul. You sick? Well, here's a scripture for you. It will be health to your flesh. Anybody got osteoporosis or weak bones? It will be strength to your very bones. I said the word will. I said the word will. If you got kidney problems, the word will help it. If you got liver problems, the word will help it. If you got heart problems, lung problems, liver problems, the word. Next, next. Honor the Lord with your possessions. And with the first fruits of all your increase. Next. So your barns will be filled. I said the word will prosper you. And your vats will overflow. With new wine. I said the word will prosper you. The word. It will create faith in you. Yeah, yeah. The word will teach you what to believe. It'll, it'll establish doctrine in you. The word will convict you. Oh, yes. The word will save you and then keep saving you. And the word will prosper. You stand to your feet and give the Lord a praise. Oh, you're in the glory today. <laughs> Just lift your hands all over the house. pray for a few people. In the book of James, it says, if there's any sick among you, this is what the word says. If there's any sick among you and any sick among you can be physically sick, emotionally sick, spiritually sick, marriage is sick, children are sick, finances are sick. It says, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over them the prayer of faith. He said, God will save, God will heal, and God will deliver. The power of our prayer isn't who we are. The power of our prayer is that it is in alignment with what the Word 
what the word said. If you have a need in your life in any area, please come now as our elders come. We want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. If you have a need, come. 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 Many things you were. A holy king. A carpenter. Oh, but you. Sent down from glory. Many things you were on You, 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 you. You are the living. Awesome ruler. Awesome ruler. Gentle redeemed. Gentle redeemed. God with us, yes. God with us, the living true. And what a friend. We have you. You are the living. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. That's what we call. God bless you. May he bless you by the word you have received. 
May the Lord your God keep you with that perpetual saving power that flows every time you hear the word concerning Jesus. May the Lord your God lift his face up over you and the light of his countenance may it shine on you. May he give you peace. May, if you, may you go from this place with the type of favor, the type of favor that causes crooked places in your life to be made straight. May you go from this place knowing that you're more loved than you can imagine by a God who is willing to give away everything so that he could have you. And may you go firmly rooted and confident in what the scripture says about Jesus. What the scripture says about your salvation. What the scripture says. The word. And no matter what you're facing. May you know that the word will. When others won't, the word will. When doctors can't, the word will. When counselors fail, the word will not fail. When, when, when everything else breaks down, the word will stand you back up again. In the face of it, the word will blessing of the Lord be on your day. If you have an offering you'd like to give, you can come and bring it to the buckets. We do our tithe in the beginning of the service and our offering at the end. If you have something you'd like to give, if you're watching online and you'd like to give, you can uh, click the link. If you're in here and you want to give on your phone, before you leave, you can text in. They're putting the text information up on the screen. I pray God blesses you and strengthens you. We love you so very much. We'll see you next Sunday. You're dismissed.